this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 977. We're walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we have come to chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and it talks about a mystery, talks about our mission, and it talks about manifold wisdom. Ephesians chapter 3, and let's look at verses 1 through 13, if you'll follow along with me in God's word. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, we thank you for the plan that you have for the world, for the church, and for our lives. We thank you that you are going to bring that eternal purpose to fruition. And so, Father, would you speak to us now about these things? Um, Father, we pray that you would help us to be riveted on the text today, that you would give us... um, Give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, illumine our minds and hearts to understand and apply. And so, Father, whenever we open up our Bibles um, in in this setting, uh, in any setting, um, it's a crucial time. It is a time that is filled with all kinds of wonderful possibilities of what you can do in our lives and then through our lives. So we pray that you would touch and change lives right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The mission statement of a well-known American university reads like this. It says to be plainly instructed and consider well 
that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Founded in 1636, this institution uh, prioritized not only academic excellence, but employed all Christian professors, and prioritized the Christian character formation of its students, and above all, put a priority on the equipping of pastors to preach the gospel. It's known as Harvard University, which is still known for academic excellence, but that does not even remotely resemble the school that its founders envisioned when they wrote this mission statement. Through the years, there has been a mission drift. This text is telling us that there has been no mission drift with our God. It tells us that God had a plan, a purpose for the world, for the church, and for our lives. And that is an eternal plan that he has not deviated from and he is going to bring to fruition. And we're going to look at it through the prism of three words this morning. The first word is mystery. Now let's kind of walk through the text beginning with verse 1. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So, where is Paul as he writes the letter to the Ephesians? He is in prison. Why is he there? Because of his faithfulness to Christ and the calling that Christ had put on his life. Christ had called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul was willing to be poured out on their behalf so that they could hear the gospel. He describes himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul was willing to be spent, willing to be poured out, willing to be sacrificed, willing to be put in jail so that the Gentiles could have the opportunity to hear about God's love for them in the gospel. He was sacrificing himself on behalf of them. On November 21, 2010, Marine Lance Corporal Kyle Carpenter and Lance Corporal Nicholas Euphrazio found themselves on a rooftop in Helmand Province, Afghanistan, when a terrorist threw a live grenade on top of the roof between the two men, and Kyle, in an instinctive, selfless act of sacrifice, hurled his body on top of that live grenade and took the explosion to protect the life of his fellow Marine. He received an unbelievable array of injuries. In fact, they thought he was dead. He was pronounced PEA, patient expired on arrival when he got to the field hospital. But 40 surgeries. And four years later, Kyle Carpenter was awarded our nation's highest military award, the Medal of Honor. And at that ceremony, it was stated, <clears throat> we are here because this man, this U.S. Marine, faced down that terrible explosive power with his own body, willingly and deliberately to protect a fellow Marine. <clears throat> That's what Paul is saying here. 
He was willing to be sacrificed, willing to be put in prison. And even before this, he had been beaten multiple times with whips. He had been stoned. And a couple of years after he writes these words, he was going to be martyred. But he was willing to be sacrificed on their behalf so that they could hear about God's love for them in the gospel. And of course, in doing this, Paul is just following the model of his Lord and Savior and walking in this kind of love. He's going to tell us in chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As those who have been on the receiving end of this kind of love and sacrifice, are we willing to sacrifice on behalf of others that they might hear the gospel? Are we willing to sacrifice of our money, of our time, of our energy, of all of our resources, so that other people can hear about Christ? That's what Paul is, is saying here. And then he talks in verse 2 about a stewardship. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So, a steward is one who manages something on behalf of another. A steward doesn't own anything. A steward manages someone, something for someone else, for the owner. Of course, God has, has given us everything that we're to be stewards of. Time, talents, treasures, everything. It, it all belongs to Him. And we're to be managers of those resources. But I'll tell you something else. We're to be stewards of the gospel. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, when he says the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, he's talking about the stewardship of the message of the gospel of grace that God had given to him. And we're to be faithful stewards of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4 says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We are to be faithful stewards of all that God has given us. Time, talents, treasures, yes, but also stewards of the gospel. So what does it mean to be a faithful steward of the message of the gospel? Are we a faithful steward of the gospel if we bury that message in the ground? Now, we're faithful stewards of the gospel if we're out there sharing the gospel with other people. Are you a gospel-sharing Christian? Are we a gospel-sharing church? That's faithful stewardship of the gospel. And then third, he talks about a mystery. Now, let's pick that up. Look in your Bibles um, in verse 3. He talks about how the mystery was made known to me by Revelation. Now, this word mystery is going to be repeated not in verse 3, verse 4, verse 6, and in verse 9. In Greek, the word mysterion, which is where we get the English word mystery. However, the term mystery was used a little bit differently in the first century than it is now. Now, when we talk about a mystery, we're usually talking about something that's still hidden, like crime remains a mystery. It's unsolved. In the first century, when this word was used, it was talking about something that had been a secret, but it was now an open secret. 
It was something that had now been revealed. And Paul says there's, this mystery has now been revealed. What's been revealed? What is he talking about? What he tells us in verse 6. He says this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery that had now been revealed was that in one body of Christ, God had brought people from a Jewish background together, people from a Gentile background uh, together, people from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds and native languages and different personalities and all the rest. He's brought them together in one body. But here, as a Jewish Christian, Paul is writing mainly to Gentile Christians, and he says here that we are all one. Now, he uses three Greek words to talk about their oneness. All three of them begin with the prefix sin, not S-I-N, but S-Y-N, as in synonym or synergy. The first term that he uses is that he says the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So imagine if a family down the street came into an incredible inheritance. And then imagine that you heard you had been adopted into that family with all of the rights and privileges of an heir. Well, if you're a Gentile Christian, that's exactly what you have been told. We are, we are heirs uh, together. Um, and then the second term that he uses is that we're members of the same body. Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, all kinds of background. We, we've been brought together in one body of Christ. And then third, he says that we are all partakers of the promise. So God made promises to the Jewish people. He made promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in the Jewish nation coming forth from Abraham... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's every people group, Gentiles included. Okay, All the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Now we're on the receiving end of the promise that God made to Abraham, to Israel, because through Israel came who? Came the Messiah. And so Paul says in Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we are all one in the body of Christ, and we are to act like one. We are to be united and guard and cherish and prize the unity of the body of Christ. So first word, mystery. Second word, mission which we see in verses 7 through 9. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Notice Paul's humility uh, here, he describes himself as the least of all the saints.
saints. This is an apostle, the author of most of our New Testaments, but yet he describes himself as the least of all the saints. And it's not false humility. Paul was acutely aware of his sins and shortcomings. He was aware of his background, that he had persecuted the church and had Christians killed and, and, and all the rest. Um, and he was, was very aware of his own sin. This is not uh, false humility on his, his part. Um, uh, one, of, uh, one of Winston Churchill's uh, most famous and funniest quips uh, occurred when he, one day he was, he was ranting about one of his political opponents, a man named Clement Attlee. And so Churchill was uh, going on and on. He was off on a tangent about uh, Attlee and just, uh, you know, just, just, uh, just ranting about him to one of, his, one of his advisors. And at one point in the conversation, the advisor said, But Mr. Churchill, you must admit that Mr. Attlee is a humble man. And Churchill said, well, he is a humble man, but then he, he, uh, he has reasons to be, to, be hum- to be a humble man. He has reasons to be humble. Well, we all have reasons to be humble uh, because the truth of the matter is that we're all just sinners saved by grace, standing on level ground at the foot of an old rugged cross. And Paul knew that even though he was a great sinner, that he had a great Savior and that that Savior had given him an assignment to carry out. And that assignment was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, the word preach here is euangelizo. And it's a combination of the prefix you, which means joyful, and angelos, which means to announce news. So it's one who announces joyful news. The word was used originally by heralds who would announce military victories. So... Like in, um, when the Greeks defeated the Persians on the plains of Marathon, they sent a runner 26-plus miles, where we get the term marathon, he ran 26 miles back into the city to announce the victory, the good news. We have won. Our forces have won. You are no longer slaves. Okay? So it's an announcement of, A, something that has happened, B, something that has been done on your behalf, and C, something that radically changes your life and your situation. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is a joyful announcement of something that has happened, something that has happened in history. Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. It happened. It really happened. And so it's an announcement of something that really happened. Second, it's an announcement of something that has been done on our behalf. We didn't do it. Christ did it. He did it. It was done by Him on our behalf. And third, it's an announcement of something that profoundly changes our situation, changes our lives. That's the gospel. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Because every other religion is really about, hey, here's what you can do. Here's good advice about how to live and, you know, and how to achieve uh, uh, salvation, how, you know, what you can do to get connected with God. Christianity is about what God has done. It's about something that happened in history on our behalf, done on our behalf, 
and something that will change our life. Our part is to believe this good news, to believe it, and then to spend ourselves in announcing it and sharing it. That's what Paul was doing. He says his calling was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, the term unsearchable means not to be tracked out. It means unfathomable, okay, Uh, incomprehensible because it's so wonderful. And so Paul uh, saw himself as one who was called to announce the good news of what Christ had done, but then also in the process of discipleship, opening up that treasure box and taking out all of the precious jewels of the gospel, the unsearchable riches of the gospel, so that uh, we can know what is ours in Christ and, and, and grow and deepen in our faith. And listen, that's the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to announce the gospel of Christ and then through discipleship to teach those unsearchable riches of Christ so that we make disciples who go out and repeat the process, announce the gospel, teach the unsearchable riches of, of, of Christ. Um, and so, mission. Third, third word, manifold wisdom. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is Paul talking about in this verse? It's one of those verses where you can be tempted when you're reading your Bible and you come across a verse like this that's meaning is not right there on the surface. It's tempting to kind of skip over it and not really think about what it's talking about. I want to encourage you not to do that when you study your Bible. Uh, Dig into the Word. Okay, don't, don't skip over it. If you rake, all you get is leaves. If you dig, you get diamonds. Okay? And this is one of those diamonds. We need to, to dig for it and take that diamond out so that we can, can, can shine a light on it and see what God is saying to us here. He's talking about something that happens through the church. Okay? So that through the church, what? God's doing something. What's he doing? Through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let's kind of unpack that. First of all, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold is a word that means it multicolored. Okay, like in um, in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, called the Septuagint. The same word that Paul uses here for manifold is the word that's used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. So it means multicolored. Think about a beautiful flower garden with a wide array of beautiful flowers that are in bloom. He says that's what the church is. You've got all these people, they're coming from different backgrounds and everything. They're in one, one body of Christ, one garden, um, and they're all just showing forth God's uh, manifold, multicolored wisdom and just a, a beautiful mosaic. And he says that that manifold wisdom is sending a message. 
to who? That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are angels. And the term that he uses here can be used for good angels or bad angels. But in the context of Ephesians, he's almost certainly talking about bad angels here. Demons. Dark principalities and powers like he's going to talk about when we get to chapter 6. Okay? Um, and he's saying here that the very existence of the church is sending a message to these dark demonic powers and to their evil earthly counterparts because evil uh, heavenly rulers, bad angels, demonic powers, they often do their work through evil human rulers, okay? And he's saying here that the the existence of the church is sending a message to demons, to their shadowy earthly counterparts. And the message is this. Your days are numbered. That's it. It's like in the book of Daniel. Okay, in Daniel 5, when the pagan ruler of Babylon, Belshazzar, he throws this huge drunken orgy for like a thousand of his cronies uh, and they're all in there just engaging in, in debauchery and so forth and Belshazzar says hey go get the holy vessels that we stole from the temple in Jerusalem and bring them in here and we're going to fill them with alcohol and you know we're going to use them as part of our revelry I mean it was just an unbelievable kind of blasphemy and as they're doing this, suddenly out of nowhere, a hand appears and it begins to write on the wall. And the party comes to a screeching halt. You can hear a pin drop. About the only sound you could hear would be Belshazzar's knees knocking together because he was terrified. And they didn't know what the writing was. And Belshazzar said, go get Daniel. And so they went and they summoned Daniel. And Daniel came in and the king said, what does it say? And Daniel said, king, this is what it says. It says the days of your kingdom are numbered and are coming to an end. That's the message that the existence and growth of the church is sending to Satan, to demonic powers and two evil earthly powers that are used by those dark cosmic powers. That explains what is happening with all of the evil that we see in the world. You know what it is? It's the desperate death throes of an enemy who knows that his doom is sealed. It's like Hitler in World War II after D-Day. The outcome was not in doubt. He knew that he was doomed, but he was going to try to wreak as much havoc as he could 
before the bitter end. That's what Satan is doing today. Christ has won. Uh, the enemy has been defeated by the cross, by the resurrection. Uh, the outcome is not in doubt. And, he, and now he's like a snake uh, whose head has already been crushed, um, but is just in the, the, the death throes. Now that explains what's happening with all the brutal persecution of, the, of Christians like we've been hearing about for the past uh, few weeks, because here is Satan who has had whole populations of people in his grip for centuries, and now he's losing it, losing his hold. And there's this, uh, this fury uh, of, his, of his death throes. But we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen because God has told us what's going to happen. Christ has already won. Um, evil is going to be utterly destroyed. Um, Christ is coming and... He's preparing the way for that right now. Let's take a look um, at verses 11 and following. He says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your Glory. Paul was suffering. He knew these people were concerned that he was in prison and that he was suffering. Paul says, no, no. God is in control of all of this. You know, all of this is according to his purpose. And as he says in Philippians, it's only going to serve to advance the gospel. Now remember that when you go through difficult times. Remember who's in charge. Remember that God is not taken by surprise. And remember that God is going to use all things, all things, to realize his purpose in your life, that he's causing all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And that purpose is what? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He's taking everything in life to fulfill his purpose, to make us more like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that we can rest confidently in your purpose. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, make us faithful stewards of the gospel. Lord, make us gospel-sharing Christians. Lord, make us more of a gospel-sharing church. May we not bury this glorious message in the ground, but may we be faithful to share it so that others may hear. We thank you that someone shared with us. We thank you for the faithfulness of Paul who shared the message of the gospel with the first generation of Christians and that that's been continued to be passed down to us. And Lord, we want to pass it on to others. Lord, here in this community, as we seek to reach people for Christ all the way uh, from preschool ministry through children's ministry and student ministry and all the way through as we engage in, in international missions uh, to go forth, Father, make us uh, faithful stewards 
someone loved us enough to share with us. And may we be willing to love and to sacrifice. Sacrifice of our money, our time, all of our resources, our talents and gifts and abilities. May we be willing to be, to be poured out and spent so that others might know of you. There's no greater use that we could have than to realize that purpose in our lives. So we just continue to pray right now. The gospel is something that happened. It's something that was done on your behalf. And it's something that can change your life if you'll believe it. Have you believed in Jesus? I don't mean intellectually. I mean with the commitment of your heart. Have you placed your life in His hands as your Savior and Lord? Turn to Him today. Turn to Him in repentance and in faith. And trust Him today. Put your life into His hands. Take your hands off of the controls of your life and turn it over to Christ. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. And if you're doing that, if that's your decision, we want to invite you as we stand to come. Just share with me what God's done in your life today. We want to rejoice with you. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, we want to invite you to come. Um, and we want to welcome you as you seek membership here. So Father, speak now during this time of invitation. Work in our hearts that the commitments would be made in all of our lives that would honor you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. 
tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.